The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Before we get started this morning, I just want to uh, give a shout out to the folks in Florida. I ke- just came back from the uh, conference of the Florida Association of Licensed Investigators. Um, Tim O'Rourke there is the president of the association. They just had a fabulous, fabulous, fabulous um, seminars, association speakers, very well done. And I just want to say how much I appreciated the hospitality they gave me as an attendee there. So it was, it was great. So I'm very happy this morning to welcome private inve- a private investigator with whom I have known too many years to count, Seth Derrish. Good morning, Seth. Good morning, Francie. It's so great to have you. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be on the show. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So, Seth, uh, I know, I know there's may, maybe a little dispute over whether you were the youngest private investigator ever in California's history. I think you and Chris Reynolds are running neck and neck, maybe. Uh, really? Chris's yeah. <laughs> brother remodeled my house in San Francisco about 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I think you were, you were licensed in what year? 1978. 1978, I, I, and I, I'm not sure when Chris was, but it was in the 70s. Uh, so <laughs> you guys ought to get together and figure that out. Uh, well, you but know, in any... what it, to Go get the, the qualification, uh, I looked at the business and profession code, and I was able to count working in the college recycling center and the college newspaper towards my hours. <laughs> oh, and they, oh, they tried to deny me. Uh, yeah, and after that, do... they changed the law, so you had to you know, have paid hours. So Yeah. Couldn't do that today for sure, no. but it's pretty cool. And the youngest license, so you you probably were twelve, only twelve then, right? <laughs> no, I think I was. I don't know. Nineteen. I was twenty four. Twenty four. It's amazing. So you had moved to San Francisco from where? From Chico. From Chico, really? I went to, co- I went to college in Chico, and I wrote a special major called investigative news reporting because you know we had the Woodward and Bernstein thing going and so I wrote the major and then uh after that I moved to San Francisco. Interesting. And then um how did you start working for attorneys? Well I the first I, I could type since I worked at the college paper I could type really, really fast. So I went to a temp agency and they gave me a typing test and after one page the guy says you're hired so they sent me to a law firm. And so I was <laughs> typing for lawyers, typing depositions up and I said, you know, I can go interview those people instead. 
of you spending all the money on the court reporters and getting nothing. So that's how it started. Wow. And how long did you work with those attorneys? Um, about, oh, just like a, a year or so. I moved in with an, one of the attorneys, and he let me have an office, and then he helped me get my license. Well, that's great. So it wasn't that's that terrific. long. So what did you, originally, what kinds of, kind of work were you doing? Was that a plaintiff attorney? What kind of uh, yeah, legal I sent work? Letters, I sent letters to the National Lawyers Guild attorneys because I was involved. The reason why I became a PI was I, I was working, the anti-nuclear movement came to me when I was a reporter, and they were being infiltrated by PG&E. And I found that a private investigation agency was hired by PG&E. And so um, I said, well, if they can do what I can do, it might, I can do it too. Mm-hmm. So then I figured I'd try all these, you know, the guild lawyers. And then I remember uh, I was walking down the street and I saw Melvin Belli sitting in his office. And I just went in there and barged in his office and he hired me. Really? Yeah, Melvin Belli. I was grabbing my sweater, trying to pull me back out. Oh, it's amazing. So, for for our listeners, those that you don't don't know, Melvin Belli, he was a a legend in San Francisco. He was a a very aggressive. um, How would you describe Melvin Belli? He was the king of torts. He was called the king of torts. Yes. Go ahead. I know, and he wrote the. He wrote the book on demonstrative evidence where he would shock the jury with, you know, a lady had a breast implant. He, she'd pull up her sweater in front of the jury and people would be you know, <laughs> horrified of, you know, at these things. And so that was pretty much his, his style. And it's, it's not as used as much today in that, in that fashion. Uh, he was quite a guy. He was kind of well-known. He passed away. He was also on Star about... Trek. He what? He was on an episode of Star Trek once. Oh, was he really? I didn't know yeah, that. That's too funny. So um, then I just, you know, I, I started doing the PI work, and, and, and I, I, always, uh, I always liked uh, going down to Latin America. And um, I, so I kind of expanded down in that direction. Well, and, and that was influenced a little by a person that you knew, Hal Lipset, who I also knew. Um, talk about that a little bit. Well, yeah, Hal, Hal um, years ago, he was teaching a class at uh, USF, University of San Francisco. It was legal investigation. And this was kind of when the computers were just coming on. So um, I met him at a party once and said, I'm going to replace you pretty soon. And he just started laughing at me. And everybody else said, who is this guy? <laughs> so anyways, a few years later, he asked me to teach the, uh, the computer database uh, section of the class. So I had come in, and I, you know, this is way back when I had some, this Panasonic PC. It must have weighed about 30 pounds. And we'd plug <laughs> it into an overhead projector and, you know, and log on to some of these basic databases. So uh, well, I let helped me, them with yeah, that. Let me just say, for those of you out there that don't know Hal Lipset, Hal Lipset is also passed, but he, is, he was another legend in San Francisco. And he, if you haven't seen the book, uh, it's the bug in the martini olive, right, Seth? Um, yeah, I have a signed copy right here. Yeah, he uh, very famous book. If you haven't read that book, you need to get it. I'm sure you can get it on Amazon, and uh, it's called the bug in the martini and the martini olive by Hal Lipset, L-I-P-S-E-T. So go ahead. All right, and then 
Also, if you uh, the, the movie The Conversation, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, starring Gene Hackman, was made in 1974, and it's about a surveillance in San Francisco's Union Square that, that, that goes south. And um, Gene Hackman is, 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 is uh, allegedly playing the, the role of Hal Lipset, and Hal Lipset has, has a cameo in that movie. So that's a, it's a classic movie. Yeah. So, yeah, another one. For uh, another one for aspiring PIs, actually, <laughs> or right. even old PIs. So, so anyways, like in, in ni- around 1994, 1995, I was talking to Hal, and he, he's, you know, he says, "Hey, it's, you know, Hal had a the gravelly voice. Hey, Seth, you know, I know you like it down there in in Latin America and Costa Rica." And he says, "If if you get a bunch of cases together, I'll have a, a bunch of the other PIs, and then." You know, I'll get a bunch of cases together for you. You can open up an office there. So Hal really? was, uh, was uh, president of the World Association of Detectives. Mm-hmm. And so he, he made this suggestion, and, um, and I went down there and, and, and you know, started working a few cases down there, and eventually I, I opened an office. So you were fluent in Spanish before you went there, correct? Not really. I'm still sometimes wonder if I am, but okay. uh, <laughs> well, I, I can I can tell you a, a, a pretty funny Spanish story. Uh, about five years ago, I was in El Salvador, and I was in a meeting with the president of ANAP, which is the they kind of own all the industry in the country, and we were having this conversation. There was an economist from Chicago there, and a lawyer, and it was all in Spanish. And it was pretty technical stuff about the finances of the country. And about, like, halfway through this, the guy says to me, he goes, you know, sir, we could, we could continue this in English if you would like. And, and I've had experience with this where they go to English and all of a sudden it's, it's even worse than my <laughs> Spanish and I can't understand anything anymore. So, so I said to the guy, I go, well... It's only if your English is, is, is you know, I, politely, I said, you know, if your English is okay, let's go to English. So he starts speaking English like a Californian. <laughs> and, and then it, with, with all the inflection, and you, there was no accent, and I said, okay, what's going on here? And, and I go, Where did, did you live in America? He says, yeah, I went to uh, Mills High School. And oh I gosh. said, I went to Cappuccino High School. And he says, oh, you were a Mustang. We knew we were the same age. <laughs> we had mutual, like, acquaintances. Oh, that's too funny. We started talking and, about Leave it to Beaver episodes. Yeah. And that was in El Salvador. That's too funny. That was in 2010, yeah. Wow. So, so okay, so I'm really interested in this. You just pretty much went to Costa Rica and decided you're going to have an investigation business there? Well, kind of like, I mean, I would show up there and do a few cases here and there, but it was, you know, this is, this is one of the problems you have in these countries. I was just on a tourist visa. So if you get caught, it's not cool. Oh, well, so eventually yeah. when, when I lived there, I got, I got residency, which lets you legally work. Did you um, ever get caught? Um, in Costa Rica, I could pretty much worm out of almost everything. W- one time I was up, this, this, this crook stole a couple million bucks from a hospital in San Diego, and it was up in, and he moved, and he was Nicaraguan, and he moved back home 
um, to Messiah, Nicaragua. And, and uh, I was sent up there to, to see what was going on. And I was on the main Messiah Highway. And uh, so I, ha- I brought bird books with me and binoculars. And so I was running a surveillance on this guy. And the next thing I know, these two Jeeps pull up behind me. And they jump out with AK-47s. It was like the Sandinista police. Uh-huh. And they said, and I said, what are you doing? And I, and I, I, I think it started out, I said, why, why are you so, you know, why you all, what's, what's going on here? And because they're all jumpy with their hands on their guns. You know, there's yeah. like four or five of them. And, and this, this lady that was like the colonel or whatever that was running the show. And uh, they said that the police chief lived like right up the street of the whole country. And somebody tried to assassinate him that morning. I said, oh, my, this is horrible. Right. So. <laughs> So the, the the older guy who who looked like he'd been demoted or something says, "Well, what what do you got?" I go, "Well, I'm just there's some a certain kind of like like Quetzal uh, Quetzal bird up here that uh, that it's only in this area." And I had the bird book open, you know, and 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 I showed it to him, and and the and the guy says, "Yeah, that's pretty interesting." And then the lady says to him, "She says, let's take him in the car and all this crap down to the police station." And did they do that? No, no. So then the, um, I took the old guy aside and I said, look, I go, it's a little harsh, you know. Do you have any kind of alternative, right, to, 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 for this thing? And he looks at me and he says, he says under his breath, he goes, I know you're full of crap, kid. He says, but let me go talk to my partner. And they, they basically <laughs> made me drive to the airport and leave. Really? <laughs> And, and oh my God! I, I've only had trouble in Nicaragua because another time I was I, I had like this Canadian insurance company, and um, they had a bunch of billings from a hospital, right? Like all of a sudden there was like twenty claims by Nicaraguans on vacation for all these horrible injuries and everything. So they said, go to the billing department of the hospital, you know, and verify these claims. I figure, okay, this is just you know, it sounds pretty routine, right? Right. So. I go to the hospital, and um, I go in there, and I ask for the billing department at the front desk, and the lady says, well, we don't have a billing department. I said, why? She goes, well, after the Sandinistas made all the health care, you know, publicly owned in the hospital and the whole, all of that, she says, we don't bill anybody. It's all free. And I said, well, what about these bills here with your hospital name on it and all these doctors? She looks at it. She calls somebody from the back. And they come out, and they look out, and they take me into a room, and they just said, we, we went and looked for the, 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 the archives. We couldn't even find these patients in the archives. And then the lady comes back. She set, takes me aside. She says, you better get out of here. She says, that's a big fraud that these doctors pulled, and now they know you're in the building. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I, I can't even just go pull a file in a hospital there without getting chased around. <laughs> so did you it was get only worse ca- in kern county <laughs> the kern county is california everybody we all know yeah. about kern county so so where was how did hal come through with giving you cases in costa rica or in, in latin america yeah he came he came through i can't remember any specific ones but um we eventually even had a a, a wad midterm down there, and that really helps when you, when you, the, the, for the viewers, the listeners, that's the, the World Association of Detectives. Right. And so we had a midterm where we invite everybody there, 
um, for the middle of the year conference, and uh, you know that everybody remembers you're there. You know the whole thing. You gotta, you gotta like be seen and heard. So everybody says, "Oh, he's the guy." Oh, he's the one. <laughs> well, this is before we had all the list serves in the internet. Right. Yeah, that's true. Well, this is so, you know, it's it's kind of. Um, I don't know. For me, it's it's kind of beyond comprehension just to pick up and go to another country and and start working investigations without knowing what the rules are, the laws are, you know, things like that. It just it sounds uh, just kind of foreign to me. So I'm I'm so interested in do in uh, hearing how you went about doing this. So um, so you set up. You actually ended up setting up a legitimate business after you got residency. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, they don't have licenses they don't have there. Legitimate but business. yeah, I incorporated a, a. You can actually, you you can work without with being a tourist. But the problem is, yeah, if you get into trouble, the the, the police tend to, you know, it's a different attitude towards you. So. And what does it take to get residency in Costa Rica? Um, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I my son was born there, and that's how I was able to do it. Okay. And then, of course, and, and then eventually I, I, was, I married a Costa Rican, and so then that, I was able to gain citizenship from that, which you want, that's even stronger because there was a resident there, a Canadian lady, and she basically discovered that one of the president's family was cutting down old-growth forests. And when she raised a big stink about it, they, they um, revoked her residency and kicked her mm-hmm. out, saying she's involved in politics. Mm-hmm. So I realized, you know, I, I want the, I want total, you know, control here. I don't want to be vulnerable because um, it's kind of like when you go into a sticky situation. Everything affects your mentality of how 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 strong you feel. So if you have citizenship and, and you know they can't mess with you, mm-hmm. you're 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 a much better position dealing with with the police and the authorities. Interesting. So- now I know that uh, you know what we need to take a break because there's I have lots of lots more questions. So we'll be right back with Seth Darish, private investigator from California and Costa Rica. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. With me this morning is private investigator Seth Darish, who not only runs a business in California, he also established a business in Costa Rica. Seth, you were just saying oh, while we were offline that one of the things that helped you was you established a connection with a local in Costa Rica. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Well, in, in 19, around 1996, um, I was invited to a, a dinner with some law students and law professors. And uh, we were just, you know, sitting around having a drink and some appetizers. And there was this nice guy sitting next to me. And um, he's mentioned that he was in the judicial police for uh, 12 years. And that they told him in the, uh, at the, the judicial police in Costa Rica is the equivalent of our, our, our FBI. So, okay. So they're like the high end uh, on the, on the feeding chain there for you know food chain for uh, for legal things there you know, for the working for the district attorneys, and um, so he's 12 years in the judicial police and they told him that if he went to became a lawyer his salary would almost double and then he would eventually become a judge. Mm-hmm. So he was he was attending the law school and then um, he didn't know I didn't wasn't saying that much and he thought I was Costa Rican. And then when, he, when I finally started talking, he realized, oh, you're, you're American. I said, yeah, yeah, you can hear my bad accent. And uh, we became friends, and um, I hired him to help me set up the investigation office. And uh, it turned out that he liked uh, investigating more than being a lawyer. Interesting. And, and actually, in that country, it probably pays. Unless you're a lawyer, like, like doing international work, with, you know, part of the ruling classes there, uh, the, there's a lot of small lawyers there, like, and, and they're really hungry. You know, they, they 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 do things like to buy and sell a car. You need an attorney, so they really? would get all those little jobs. Wow. So, so, uh, so he he became your partner. Yeah, he would be like the partner that ran that office, and then I would kind of move back and forth between the two countries. Is he still with you? No, um, he lives in New York. <laughs> he he okay. went to New York, and he used to live in Boston, and then all of a sudden he moved to New York, and, and so now I have another lawyer I work with, and, uh, and in fact, I, he's running around right now down there looking at court files for me. Amazing. And so do you have daily communication with your office there? No, it's mainly email, and then we talk about once every two weeks. Do you Skype and, uh, back and forth? Yeah, whatever, VOIP, yeah. yeah back okay. and forth. Yeah. So, you know, in a, in a, Costa Rica's got a huge uh, expat uh, 
population. So there's a lot of Americans and Canadians and Europeans there. So when you're investigating um, in a country like that, you, you, it depends on, on what you're investigating, whether you use a local or, or, or an American. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a workers' comp case going. See, I'm the only licensed and bonded California investigator operating in Costa Rica, so workers' comp cases will naturally come to me. Right. Because I think that's one of their requirements. But um, we have a lot of workers' comp cases on California residents that think, I'm going to go down to Costa Rica. Not a lot, but, you know, a few every year. I'm going to go down there and collect my check and and go surfing, right? right? Even though I'm permanently disabled. Right. So, if Seth, any of you what... claimants are out there listening, <laughs> we're out there. <laughs> that is not the way but to get away with it. But they think their guard's down, so they don't, you know, yeah. a couple of years ago I had this, this, this one where the guy was permanently disabled with a shoulder injury, and um, when I saw a for sale sign on a car at his house, this is where I was working with my old partner, uh, the, my original partner, and um, so we saw a for sale sign on his car, and my partner called up since he's a Costa Ricans or Ticos, that's their nickname. So he calls up the number on the, on the, on the sign and talked to the, to the claimant's father. said, oh, I'm interested in that car. And he says, oh, that's my, that's my son's car, but he's not here. And then, and then my, my partner says, well, now where is he? When will he be back? He says, no, he's surfing. So then my partner, who's a pretty sharp guy, says, oh, I like surfing too. What beach does he like? And he says, you know, playa, blah, blah, blah. And so he, the minute he gets off the phone, I, we, we, we roared up to that beach. I mean, it was like four hours away. Wow. So I had a, 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 a video camera, and we got there before the, the claimant showed up, and we set the camera up, you know, on the beach, like we were like, you know, like making surf movies. <laughs> which is, you know, if arriving before the action, as you know, is even better. Yeah. And sure enough, the guy, he shows up, and the first thing he does is he's reaching up and lifting this longboard off the top of his car, and we knew he was doomed after that. So you got some good shots of him surfing, too? Oh, excellent. Just close-ups and the, the facial expressions, and he, he showed no pain. And uh, when my daughter looked at the movies, um, she said, well, this is, you know, she was pretty young then. She said, well, Daddy, that guy's a terrible surfer. <laughs> <laughs> I said, honey, we're not, like, testing his surfing skills here. <laughs> That's cute. So, so what does it take to be licensed in Costa Rica? What are the requirements there? There's no license. There's no license. Just, but you have I a mean, license number. Need, there's no, no, there's no license number. I just have a, a corporation. Oh, um, a corporation, okay. Well, that's all it is. And, and then, you know, it's just like, remember, I guess in England they still don't have a license, which uh, kind of shocks people. Yeah, they're working on they're it. Kind of, they're working they're on it But I, I wanted to get licensing in Costa Rica because, you know, what it's like without licenses, it's a free-for-all. Anybody can just say anything, and there's been several crooks down there. Mm-hmm. What about the other Latin American, uh, Central American countries? Are, is there any licensing laws at all? I don't think there's a license in any of them. Uh, um, interesting. I've never heard of it. Yeah, you're right. Without a regulatory authority, you, anybody can put up a shingle and and say whatever they want to. Yeah, and Costa Rica is so riddled with fraud. 
um, you know, there's a, a, a couple, an American there that I don't, I'm not going to name names, obviously, but you know, he would just take some outrageous fee and then, you know, not do anything. And it was, and then people would complain and the courts there are so slow. If you sued them, it would take forever. Yeah. So no, I, I so, would love to get a license. Even real estate agents don't have licenses there. Interesting. So how did you get accepted, Seth? I mean, how, you know, clearly you're an American. I mean, you sound like an American to me. How did you, <laughs> how did you get accepted there? Um, well, you know, this is, this, is, this is, I think anybody that's going to go live in a foreign country should learn the language. And mm-hmm. it's a completely different experience. And there's, there's like, 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 People, Americans that have lived in, in, in foreign countries, or you know, ones I knew in Costa Rica, that have lived there their whole lives and never learned any Spanish, and their experience was so limited. And, and um, so I, I always lived in uh, neighborhoods with no Americans, so mm-hmm. I would have to speak. Mm-hmm. And and so and then of course once you start doing business, and you know, and now I, I can read like the the. Um, I can read the court documents too. That's that's really helpful. I mean, you know, I can read. I, I figured out their crazy uh, uh, kind of Castilian style of the, the Napoleonic law there, the way they do things. And at it, it, first, it makes no sense. And, re, I, and remember, I never went to any any law schools there or anything. But it got to the point where I was able to sit down with an attorney and a judge and discuss a case and and you know figure out what was going on. Now. I also owned a, a really fun bar and, and, and restaurant, so that makes you a lot that of helps. friends, too. That helps establish so. credibility, for sure. Right. Interesting. So um, I want to get into this uh, thing about your, your school project. You and your wife formed this Costa Rica school project. Talk about that a little bit, because I think that's really exciting. Well, you know... Um, a few a years ago, we were walking down the, the street in her village, and we were having a discussion about the, the school there. There was only a primary school, and she says, "You know, once I once I got out of primary school, I had to like take a, 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 a try to find a ride down to the city to to to, to go to secondary school, you know, to high school, and um, it's pretty bad because a lot of the kids, because it's coffee country, a lot of the kids just end up not going to school, even though." It's compulsory in, in, you know, in their constitution, I think, until 18. So we said, why don't we uh, build a, a school here? So we formed a California nonprofit. Um, it's the Costa Rica School Project, Inc. And um, I basically hit up all of my law firm clients. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't say it this way, but it was like, you know what? I've been making money for you guys all these years, and you're all millionaires now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's time to kick it back. And they did. So I was able to raise up the, the money within, you know, record time. And um, we built a uh, – also, as part of this process, we went to the Ministry of Education, and they promised teachers. And, and, and it, Costa Rica is a, a really centralized – like a lot of the Latin countries, it's a centralized government. So everything's out of San Jose and they had, in the capital, and they had an office up in the north, too. So the Ministry of Education promised teachers. So we built the building. It's like the main building on the square. It's a huge building. And after it's all built and done, it serves as a community center also because, like, in these villages, that's like the, the salon. They call them a salon, comunal. 
uh-huh. is the main kind of like place where everything goes, where everybody goes, weddings, baptisms, the whole bit, you know, big parties, everything. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So after we built the whole thing, the, um, they never sent the teachers. Oh my gosh. So I go, so I, I, I so we, we got the, 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 the neighborhood bus and, um, I, and the community, the parents and the kids, we all went down to the Ministry of Education. And I was like, of course, the only gringo there, but it's my wife's family and, and all these people. We drive down there to go meet the director for the whole region. And um, so we go in the office and she's making, you know, telling, giving us all these excuses why they're not sending teachers. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I didn't say anything. And then near the end of it, um, when everybody was starting to leave, I said, oh, I said, excuse me, could I stay here for a minute and, and talk to you? She says, yeah, okay, fine. And they all leave. And um, so we're there by ourselves. And she's wearing this, like, really fancy dress. And this, this is, like, out in the country. So people are, you know, they're country people, right? And I said, how long have you been here? She said, like, a year. And I go, you must have come from San Jose. And she said, yeah. And I said, she, I said do you know where this village is? And she said, no, she'd never been there. Interesting. Even though it was in her district. So, anyways, in the end, we never did get teachers. Did she ever she go to the district? Out of the office. Did she well, ever no, go there? We didn't get teachers, but there was an earthquake. <laughs> we did end up getting put in a school there because there was an earthquake about four years ago, and the primary school is, is, is uninhabitable now. So they, mm-hmm. they moved it into the salon. Interesting. So now, though, uh, so so there is a school in the salon now. Yeah, and then it also has a youth basketball league, and 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 then there's well, that, some no, kind that's of down uh, in the city. No, after the, we built the salon, um, we still had money coming in, and um, I start so I started a new program, and, and it, it's the, this whole the whole microfinance the whole microfinance thing that's going on worldwide. It's, it was the, um, the, the, that, that, that guy from Bangladesh, he started the Grameen Bank. And um, okay. I think he started with like, I don't know, it's one of those things he started with like $3,000. Now it's worth $1.7 one of those things. So I read his book and I started a microfinance program to make uh, loans to the uh, coffee farmers because, uh, you know, commodities, they don't have... They don't have to have things like where they sell futures and all that, where, you mm-hmm. know, they can sell their crop in advance. Right. So, so we made s- loans to the coffee farmers and for people to fix up, to start small businesses and so on and so forth. And how does that tie into the basketball league and the... Well, the basketball league is just a new project. <laughs> oh, that's another project. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be going in, in a couple <laughs> weeks, I'm going to take down a giant duffel bag full of like all this training equipment and basketballs oh, cool. and because it's not a big sport there and then and, um we also have a a trilogy three movies that we're sponsoring called polpa which is, means octopus it's about yeah. a, their silent films where um, a french sailor finds an octopus in a <laughs> in a fountain in costa rica and sets it free interesting <laughs> So now that the octopus is arriving in America soon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then what's this about repairing farmhouses, farm workers' houses? How does that tie into everything else you're doing? Oh, the, well, the loan program, um, the director, of, the, 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 the manager of it moved away. She, she got married and moved out of town. And 
So we're kind of closing that down, and now we're going to take all the proceeds, and it's kind of like a mini habitat for humanity where uh, we're fixing up houses, um, you know, just roofs and toilets. And in one case, this, this, this nice old gentleman named Eugenio um, didn't have electricity, so uh, he got electricity at Christmas time. But it turned out his, his house was so bad, we pretty much rebuilt the whole thing. That's very cool. And, and you know what, Seth? One of the reasons I have this show is to show the kinds of wonderful things PIs are doing. And, and you know, this with the whole uh, the salon and the farm worker houses repairs and the youth basketball team and even the microfinancing, that's just a wonderful projects that, that you and your wife have gotten involved in. Hey, thank you. And, you know, it's true, though. It's, it's, having the show is such a great idea because you know how the, the popular image of private investigators is, Absolutely. Is, is so misconstrued by the public that in our occupations alone, we, we help speed things along in, in the legal system, and, and we help a lot of people. I mean, it's, 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 you're not just out there trying to mess up somebody's life. Exactly. You know, so, so. And, and people don't come to us when they don't have a problem. <laughs> they always have a problem when they come to us. <laughs> That's what I always say in the end. I go, hope you don't have to call me again, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, uh, going, going back into your, your life history here, uh, talk a little bit about when you got involved with the Shaw's Secret Police uh, murder, Iranian murder <clears throat> conspiracy. Oh, this is way back. When I That's was, way back. When back. I was a yeah, this is before I was a PI, but these were the things that kind of led up to it, uh, the PG&E thing. And then um, the, when I was going to college, I made friends with a lot of Persian students, and they were fighting the Shah of Iran, the dictator that was you know, put in there by the CIA, I own, 1953. Uh, and um, they had the Shah secret police called Savak had spies on every college campus to watch the other Persian Iranian students Persian or Iranian students to make sure they weren't getting involved in, you know, left-wing politics. So, and, you know, it wasn't just left-wing politics. It was just opposing the Shah. And a lot of these kids were, were, were one of the guys I knew, his father was a general in the Shah's army, and, and he hated the Shah because there was no democracy. So these two guys I knew were in the student dorms where I actually lived when I was a student. And uh, when they came out, they came out in the parking lot, and a couple of the, the Shaw students, the, the, the spy ones, they weren't, they weren't like real spy spies, but they actually fired a gun at them. And uh, the Chico police um, arrested these kids and charged them with attempted murder, not knowing that, that they were, you know, somehow hooked up with the Iranian government. So right. the next thing, so the, and I was writing stories about it for the college paper. So... The next thing I know, the district attorney's calling me up because they were having demonstrations around the courthouse in Butte County, and they were they were saying like death to the even though it's attempted murder, like get death to the to the you know to these guys, and it was like it was pretty amazing because all of a sudden these these Iranians came from all over California and they're protesting at the courthouse, and the um, the DA calls me up. He says, "Can can you stop these demonstrations?" And I said, "You know, Leo, I I, I I'm not." I remember the name even. I said, Leo, I'm, I'm not like, like running this whole operation. You think there's some big conspiracy here? <laughs> so uh, what happened was, was 
the, the we were this defense attorney for them. We were claiming he was, you know, he was hired by the Iranian government, and he denied it. And uh, his name was Paul Eisler. And uh, so, um, in the end, they subpoenaed. They didn't want me te- they didn't want me covering it anymore, so the DA subpoenaed me to keep me out of the courtroom. Oh wow. And I knew hang- nothing about it. And hang on so, to that, Seth. We have sure. to take a break, but I don't want to lose this. This is really interesting. Okay. We'll be right back. Okay. News. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. If you just joined the show, private investigator Seth Darius is talking about when he got involved, somehow involved in an Iranian mirror, con- I can't even say it, murder conspiracy. So, okay, so the DA... Um, subpoenaed you so you uh to prohibit you from writing more stories right so what i did was i sat in the in the lobby and like when they were having the hearings and all that when people come out i just interview everybody and they tried (laughs) to kick me out of the lobby and i think that didn't work it's kind of like you can't kick me out of the lobby of a courthouse right so so the reporters committee for the freedom of the press uh in washington heard about it and i think it was written up in the washington post because you know reporters get pretty upset when Somebody's abusing uh, a, a legal authority like that to suppress uh, the, the press freedom. So, I don't, in the end, I, I somehow got back in the courtroom and they dropped the subpoena. But what's interesting is, oh, years later, after I moved to San Francisco, the, this attorney, the same attorney representing these guys, you know, we never proved they were spies. Obviously, they're not just going to tell you these things. And right. the case just vanished because they, they, they were getting heat from the State Department to drop it. Anyway, years later, I, this attorney calls me up, 
and he wanted me to work on some case. And I don't think he remembered I was the guy, the reporter, because when we were in his office, I said, Paul, I go, remember when you represented those Iranians in, 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 in Chico for attempted murder? He goes, oh, yeah, the embassy hired me to do that. Really? The Iranian embassy. Wow. Interesting. So it turns out, you know, he was pretty much confirming what we thought. Huh. You know, fascinating. So um, so you were actually defended by this group out of New York, and, and then it just went away? Yeah, I can't remember now. I mean, we're talking, it was like 30-something <laughs> years ago. I just remember that I, somehow I got back, and I think they just dropped the subpoena was what happened. Yeah, so I just okay. started, I kind of went back in the court room and, 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 you know, I didn't make a big stink out of it and they didn't bother me. So. Oh, good. Well, so, uh, the other, one of the other big things that you were involved in was the, um, child custody jurisdiction act. Concerning yeah, in, the recovery in, um, to, yeah. And like, yeah, no, I think it was in 1980 or 81, they passed the uniform child custody jurisdiction act, the UCCJEA, which has similar initials to this day. And it was to uh, codify child custody orders uh, nationwide. So um, the, uh, the states would have to sign on to this, to join this, this, this federal law. And, you know, not all the states had signed on. But so because people would just basically in a custody battle, they'd take their kids across state lines. And when the remaining parent would, would go there to try to get them back, they would make them retry the whole case. So they would ha- you'd have to file a new action in another state and have all the evidence heard, so on and so forth. So this, this was a way to codify the, the law that, that you could take an order from California and say if, if uh, Florida was a member of it, you could just basically just take a file stamp copy there, file it, and then the authorities would have to return the kids without a hearing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so you were involved in locating two children that were kidnapped by their father and taken across state lines. Right. Yeah, there was, there was, a, there was a, 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 an old reverend in, from San Francisco, and um, he met a lady in the Philippines that was, I don't know, like 30 or 40 years younger than him. She was like 15. And they had two children. And um, they were always fighting over those. So they moved back to San Francisco. I don't know if she had them in the Philippines or San Francisco, but... They were like these, this boy and girl, and they were like four and six years old. And um, they were always having custody fights over these kids. And he, he decided that he wasn't going to have any of, anything of it anymore, and he took the kids. And um, basically, this church he belonged to kind of like was providing the support, the network for him to hide. Um, I see. So... One time I tracked him down to Athens, Georgia, and he got away. And uh, the next time I tracked him down to Charleston, South Carolina, to, to an island called Mount Pleasant. You go over a bridge. Mm-hmm. And um, basically what I tracked him through was the church. I would call the church and say I was looking for this guy, and he had these kids, and he didn't even do I want him in our choir, something like that. And eventually in Mount Pleasant, somebody told me, oh, yeah, he comes every Sunday and sings with the kids in the choir. And so when I went there, um, I had these two detectives there, and we were, you know, they saw my papers, and they kind of understood what was going on. And um, he comes, so we're sitting there staking out his house, 
and he's coming back with the kids in the car. And right when he's coming back, they said they got an armed robbery call. And they said, we never have an armed robbery here. And they just leave me. <laughs> no. So he knew we were on to him. So he's, he's, he's loading the car up. I saw him bring out lamps and pillows and, you know, suitcases. And, and he throws the kids in the back. And he takes off, and I'm following him. And pretty soon he realizes I'm following him. So I see the window roll down, and he throws out like a, like a bag of toilet paper at me. I'm thinking, like, what, the, what is that? <laughs> so then after that, he throws out like a tire iron, and I hear it crunching under my wheels. Then um, he, he drives through a parking lot. I hear this scrape where I go over the curb. The car, my car was limping along at this point. So we're going through downtown Charleston it's, it, really fast chase them and next thing i know there's like about three or four cop cars behind us with the sirens on and they're all yelling and um so finally we we they're trying to pull me over i'm pointing at him and they finally force us all off the road and the and the cops yelling halt and he has his hand on his gun and i'm leaping out of the car and um i run up to this guy's car and i just i was so pissed off i just opened the door and i, I pull him out and put his hands up on the side of the car and i said you're under arrest and he says, who are you, the police? I said, no, I'm worse than that. <laughs> so they arrested all of us. Uh, you know, that so, that's another thing you couldn't get away with today. <laughs> so when, Probably. We, when we were flying back, it was Eastern Airlines. We were flying back, and, um, and I, you know, I got the kids, and the mom came out. We had a hearing, and it was three days later we were flying back. They didn't arrest him, even though there was a warrant. They said, he'll just come back to San Francisco, and he did, and they arrested him. But when we're flying back on Eastern Airlines, the stewardess comes back. I guess I could call her a stewardess. It was 30 years ago. Anyway, right. the flight attendant comes back says, are you Mr. Darish? And I said, yeah. She says, and I go, oh, what did I do now? Are they going to arrest me? She says, you all have to wait and get off the plane after, after all the other passengers get off. And I said, why? Is, is something bad going to happen? She says, no, there's so many TV crews and reporters out there will disrupt all the other passengers. How funny. So, so the minute the I got end, off so the plane, well, this is the part, you'll appreciate this. The minute I got off the plane with the kids and the mom and the whole bit, the attorney, who wasn't even there for all the action, grabs the mom and the kids and gets in front of the camera. So on the evening news, it was attorney so-and-so recovers <laughs> the kids. And you see me off on the side there, you know. Wow. And that, you know, that happens so frequently. That really does happen frequently. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it could be law enforcement or anybody else <laughs> steps in front of the camera. Oh, my goodness. Well, so you had the, you actually had the first tested case of that law. We think that was the first tested case. And, and in fact, just as, as recently as a year or two ago, we actually used that law in a Costa Rica case because um, the, uh, a, a, a Costa Rican mom and, and an American father um, had a daughter. And it was a shared custody thing. But it, well, and to make a long story short, she decided to keep the kid in Costa Rica because they got separated. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and so when he brought the kid back to America, because we actually got the order in force, but it was under the UCCJA, which is what they call it now. That they actually, they, since their Costa Rico had not yet signed on to this whole international Hague child thing, right? I was they just going to ask you that. As a sister state. Okay. So, kind of interesting. Very interesting, you know. Um, and it's not, it's nice you were able to use that 
in Costa Rica. Um, and nice that you'd had previous experience doing it. Well, it, it, it was yeah, yes and no. Because of the vagaries of how things work down there, the district attorney in Costa Rica gave the father the child back under the court orders that were actually signed and, and certified in both countries. So we had it also in their courts. But when he got to the airport um, to fly out with the girl, there was an order at the airport saying that, that she couldn't leave. And, and when we went to the immigration authorities and said, but we have a court order, they said, no, you need a court order. <laughs> she was there, the mom was there 43 minutes before and somehow filed this thing. Oh, my goodness. But, they say, you need, but we do have a court order. They go, well, you need a, a newer court order. And I'm thinking, <laughs> like, well, why would a judge issue an order over an order that already exists? Did you so ever find out the answer to that question? No, yeah. I mean, I, 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 they were able to leave eventually, and it ended up in the Supreme Court. But uh, we just had to sue the immigration office. <laughs> Everybody's well, in the know, Supreme Court there. I had a, I got, I got pulled over. Okay, I got a tra- traffic ticket for $600 for passing on a double yellow line that didn't exist. Okay. How did that happen? It wasn't there. And they said, well, you should know it's there when they gave me the ticket. And they said it was $600 because these the traffic cops wanted a bribe. I said, no, and I, I'm photographing it. And they're asking my wife, what's he doing? She says, you don't know my husband. He'll take you to court over this thing because he, he doesn't going to pay you a bribe or whatever. So I go to the, everybody goes to the Supreme Court. Like, I'm taking you to the Supreme Court. So you believe it or not, my traffic ticket case went to the Supreme Court. Wow. And what happened to it? And you're going to ask me what happened. Yeah. Actually, nothing <laughs> happened, but since it went to the Supreme Court, they put a stay on the ticket and it vanished. That's amazing. So everything that gets challenged goes to the Supreme Court? Well, you, you can, because they have this, this strong kind of tradition of democracy and, 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 and you know, transparency and, and citizen access, right? There's no court fees or filing fees. Um, any appeals of any orders can go, can go to these four branches of the Supreme Court. They actually have a fax number where you can fax your case to the Supreme Court 24 hours a day. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah, anybody. But the problem is, is they're all backlogged all the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and, and you know, what you're pointing out is, you know, nothing, even the most simple situation is not simple. <laughs> When it comes to a legal issue. Oh, yeah, uh, when the lawyer calls you up and says, I have an easy job, that's when you yeah. got to start worrying. Exactly right, exactly right. Well, Seth, it's been so much fun to chat with you, chat with an old friend. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, we're at the end of our hour. I just want to um, say thank you to my sponsors, IRB Search, a proprietary data provider for legal professionals. You can reach them at www.irbsearch.com and of course wonderful PI Magazine the magazine for private investigators at www.pimagazine.com if you're interested in advertising on PIs Declassified you can contact my producer executive producer of this show Sandra Rogers at an email with her name Sandra S-A-N-D-R-A dot Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S, at voiceamerica.com. So thank you so much, Seth. Again, uh, I love your adventures and uh, the idea of, of uh, opening up and 
to a country that uh, you'd had little <laughs> little contact with. <laughs> Thanks, Francie. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And to my listeners, tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.